I'm not going to say hi like Christian O'Mell, but I am going to welcome you to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. Kelly Moore here. On this edition, we preview the first meeting of the season between the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and Saskatchewan Rump Riders, review what was an historic first round of the U.S. Open Golf Tournament in L.A. I'll look ahead to Valor FC's fourth home game of this season in the Canadian Premier League. But we begin with a recap of the Stanley Cup final. Well, uh, we are going to start off with hockey. We're going to talk football. We are going to talk soccer. We are going to talk basketball. Uh, We're going to talk golf. But uh, Paul Edmonds, uh, the radio play-by-play voice of the Winnipeg Jets, uh, joining me for just a few minutes before he heads to the ball field. Uh, where his son Nolan uh, is uh, involved in uh, the great, I don't know, can we call it Manitoba summer pastime, Paul? I think so. I mean, you know, certainly you could uh, make an argument for soccer, um, having that distinction as well for a lot of families. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. For, for baseball, historically, in our province, for sure. Uh, but actually, yeah. we're going to hockey tonight. We're not going to baseball tonight. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, there you go. Well, that's that's right, too. Yeah, you're taking Nolan for a workout with Larry Wu. I forgot about that. Right, uh, well, yeah. you know what? We wanted to talk hockey anyway, so uh, thanks for saving me on that. Uh, Paul, maybe just uh, uh, before we uh, t- talk about the Jets, uh, let's talk a little bit about the Stanley Cup Finals. Uh, we saw the uh, Florida Panthers clearly uh, run out of gas, run out of spirit, uh, run out of good health against the Vegas Golden Knights uh, on uh, Tuesday. Yeah, no question about it. Quite a dissertation of what uh, had been ailing them uh, as the playoffs kind of rolled along from Paul Maurice post game um, after their uh, you know after their loss in Game Five and, and Vegas wins it. Now, listen, we've seen Vegas uh, build this team over the last six years, and and Bill Foley made the proclamation that they were going to win a Stanley Cup in six years, and they did it and got to the playoffs in the first year. And you know, I mean, George McPhee and Kelly McCrimmon have done a great job, but. That team, when you watched them and you got to dissect them, and I watched a lot of hockey that the Vegas Golden Knights played, including the series against the Winnipeg Jets, they were built for this time of year. And they are simply the best team. Um, they, they proved it time and time again. And if you're looking for one small example, Kelly, to me, was every time they got into an elimination game, it wasn't close. And you yeah. can say that about the Winnipeg Jets second round against the Edmonton Oilers. They dispatched them quite easily again against Dallas, you know, in the conference final. And then the drubbing that, uh, that was in game five, a couple of nights ago against Florida. So, you know, every time that, that you thought that maybe they showed a weakness, they found another level to an already elite game. And they did that in every elimination game in the series, all the way through to 16 victories. Uh, they were the best team, hands down, uh, clearly the, the winners and rightfully so. Yeah, you give Dallas a little bit of credit for extending it to, to six games. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it was 24-6 to six is uh, how they outscored teams in the final games of each of those four series. 4-1 against the Jets, 5-2 against Edmonton, 6 nothing Dallas, and then, of course, 9-3 against Florida. So uh, bang on as you usually are, Mr. Edmonds. You know, I can't help think, though, of the shoulda, woulda, coulda. You know, you were in Vegas along with Jamie Thomas, and you just wonder, you know, had Winnipeg been able to uh, have uh, a more productive, they played great in the first period of game two, but have they been able to have a more productive 
first period and maybe gone uh, up two games to none of that series. Or if Paul uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois' shot doesn't go off of that goal post in overtime and all of a sudden they go up 2-1 in the series, you always think back and wonder what might have been. And, and you know, Vegas, uh, clearly, uh, they had some things going for them. They earned most of it. But the one thing, uh, the comment that was made after the game the other night, Paul, the uh, cup clincher, uh, we stayed healthy, and I thought that was real important for Vegas too. Yeah, no doubt. And I think that, you know, when you look at a team that, that I mean, was kind of not running away with it but challenging all season long for the Western Conference title, you know, you look at a team that might be vulnerable, and when are they going to be vulnerable? It would be in the first round. And the Winnipeg Jets, I think, guys, our whole market probably wanted them to get, get a game six back here in Winnipeg, and that would have been great. And Who knows what would have happened there. And, you know, you're talking about the post and the, the start in game two and and uh, sustain sort of what they had done in game one through game two and then even into the overtime game and the comeback and, and all of that. I mean, that took a toll on the Winnipeg Jets. Those are hard to come back from. I always feel when you come back in a situation where you're behind by multiple goals and you get to a tie situation and overtime as they did, that being the Jets, and you don't win it, that's a huge setback, but also in overtime, and then also compounded in the playoffs as well. So, you know, woulda, coulda, shoulda, you're right. But, you know, you wonder, had a few things gone Winnipeg's way, if they could have extended the series, and what would have maybe happened had they done that? Because I think any team in any series throughout whatever the championship run of that sport is, is maybe the most vulnerable in in the opening round because they're trying to get their legs and feet underneath them and they might have been to the Winnipeg Jets but they found a way to win and I just thought that they got stronger as as time went along you're right I mean there was back-to-back wins for Dallas in that conference final kind of scared them a little bit but then again they climbed to that next level uh, when they dispatched them in the final in the final game but yeah you know I mean you can kind of hang your hat on the fact that uh, this has (laughs) been certainly something that the Winnipeg Jets have seen before I mean they lose to the you know Stanley Cup eventual Stanley Cup uh, winners St. Louis Vegas comes to mind just briefly here in the last few Mo- years. Montreal so, in the know, final <laughs> Montreal in the final I mean small consolation but but still yeah. I mean you're watching a team that uh, that uh, from firsthand you know knowledge uh, is is pretty good and and obviously if you're trying to sort of set yourself up against what they are I mean your team wasn't that bad considering that the Vegas Golden Knights went on to win the Stanley Cup. But that's not going to change the narrative, uh, nor the uh, reality that things will look a lot different in Winnipeg come training camp. Paul, got about 60 seconds uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being uh, subtle differences, 10 being uh, significant. Where do you think the Jets will fall on the meter when you uh, go to cover training camp at the Hockey for All Center in September? Yeah, I think it'll be a 6 or 7. I think there'll be some significant changes because I think that uh, the organization probably wants some of those. And then I also believe that there might be some players that uh, will force the hand of the organization, Kelly. So I think from that standpoint, you're going to see a little bit of turnover. And uh, I don't think that that's a bad thing. You know, you and I have talked kind of off air about the fact that there's probably going to be some changes, but it's not a tear down to the studs and a complete rebuild because I don't know that the market is, is really interested in that here. And I don't know that the organization is as well. So I think that you can kind of retool on the fly here and, and see where you get to in September. All right, my friend. Uh, have fun at the hockey rink tonight. We'll talk soon. I know uh, we'll have you uh, joining us uh, on draft night. Absolutely. Looking forward to it, actually. Yep, you betcha. Paul Edmonds on his way to a hockey rink. 
or a ball field. Uh, sometimes he actually even gets out to the lake and uh, to the golf course as well in the off season. But right now, we're going to talk a little football, teeing up the Saskatchewan Rough Riders and the Winnipeg Blue Bombers tomorrow night at Mosaic Stadium. Six o'clock, the Olympic Builders pregame show uh, with Derek Taylor and Doug Brown. And then eight o'clock is the play-by-play or shortly after that. And who better than Daryl Davis, the unretired football writer with the Regina Leader Post. How did you pull that off, D.D., <laughs> retiring and then coming out of retirement? What, do you think you're Michael Jordan now? <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> Hall of Famers, yeah, I guess so, Kelly. It's kind of funny how it, you know, it was sad. You know, Murray McCormick and Rob Vanstone had worked at the Regina Leader Post forever and ever after I retired, and they both left the, left the uh, newspaper at about the same time, so... The Leader Post needed a voice. They needed a columnist. And I thought, you know what? Why don't I just call the managing editor and uh, see if he wants some experience? And he said, sure. Why don't you write about the Rough Riders and the, and the Regina Pats? Connor Bedard was just finishing his junior career. So I've been writing a weekly column, and it's fun to get back in the saddle again, Kelly. I'm really enjoying it. Uh, uh, you know, once you, once you start writing, I guess it's like an addiction. What do they say? <laughs> it's riding the tiger. You don't know how you got up there, but you sure don't want to get off. Yeah, isn't that the truth? Uh, well, what did you think of the uh, Saskatchewan Rough Riders' performance in the season-opening win over Edmonton? I was just talking about one nothing uh, in Ottawa late in the first quarter. There wasn't a whole lot of offense at Mosaic last week either, was there? No, well, it was in it was in Edmonton, right? So, uh, but those defenses, man, the defenses all season looked to be pretty good. <coughs> Excuse me, I just swallowed some water as I was having a sip here, Kelly. I apologize. Yeah. And, yeah, uh, no, no, you, 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 yeah, you continue on. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, and I forgot it was at Edmonton because, of course, the Elks can't win at home ever. Really? Yeah, and Ottawa's suffering the same fate. It looks like right. These these offenses just don't seem to be keeping up to the defenses at the moment. But uh, there's been some great defensive performances, starting with the Rough Riders. They were outstanding. You know, the Anthony Lanier, their defensive end, they made three goal line stops in the fourth quarter. You almost never see that, but that's what. That was really what decided the game for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders last week. Daryl Davis of the Regina Leader Post uh, joining us. He has been covering sports forever in Regina and covering it very well uh, at a Hall of Fame caliber, I might add. So uh, with with respect to the Rough Riders, I think we were all spending this week, uh, Daryl, wondering, uh, will Trevor Harris be able to play in the Riders' home opener at Mosaic tomorrow night? Uh, you know, that 35-year-old body can't take quite the pounding that it uh, uh, did when he was, say, 27, 28. Uh, where, what is the latest on Trevor Harris going into this game tomorrow night? Well, they've got him listed as a game-time decision, Kelly. And, and you know, I, I don't think that it's going to be a game-time decision. I think they've already made the decision. He, he's going to start. Uh, Craig Dickinson, the head coach, has been playing some games, doing a little bit of gamesmanship this week. Uh, if you saw the game last week, late in the game, they made a really horrible call. They, they made uh, Trevor Harris throw the football long and deep, and he took a shot on that play, and it hurt his hip. So it slowed him down a little bit this week. But uh, I don't think they were ever really worried that he wasn't going to play. I just think that they wanted to make the Winnipeg Blue Bombers think that Trevor Harris wasn't going to play, and they were going to play a guy named Mason Fine, who's not really much of a quarterback. But uh, – I think they just wanted to add that little bit of doubt into Winnipeg's mind, but and the media's and the fans, and it creates some interest. Of course, it does. But uh, Trevor Harris took the snaps today and walked through. He's been taking most. Of, he he didn't take all the snaps on Tuesday. It was a short week for the Riders, and Wednesday mm-hmm. was closed. 
and they said that he was injured, so he couldn't talk to the media. But I think they've just been hiding the fact that Trevor Harris is going to start, and they just wanted to make a big deal out of it. You know, the one thing, and Doug Brown mentioned this, uh, and again, keeping in mind, it was preseason, but what really struck Doug uh, on that night at IG Field when the Rough Riders came in and beat the uh, Blue Bombers in exhibition play was how committed they seemed to be to a balanced offense. And I would have to think, you know, with Trevor Harris maybe not being at 100%, and now, you know, you've got Darrell Walker, you've got John Schaefer-Baker, you've got uh, Braden Lenius all on the uh, injured list. Uh, maybe that decision to have that balanced offense offense uh, will pay off uh, in scenarios like this yeah you make a good point uh, losing those those are three of their top receivers and uh losing Darrell walker last game uh might be for five or six weeks it looks like we're not yeah. sure what the injury is but it looks serious that's a huge loss that was a great late season late offseason signing by the rough riders to, to get a veteran like that they still have jake winicky who's a very good receiver and, you know but uh, and samuel emelis one of their first round their first round pick last year is Turned into a pretty good player, but uh, not quite the game-breaking threat. So your point about the balanced offense, yes. The Riders, uh, they used to have a good offense when, when Jason Moss was the offensive coordinator here, and they would run the football early on, but then they would get away from it. Last week, the interesting thing was the Riders ran the ball quite effectively throughout the game, you know, decent. And then at the end of the game, when they really had to run the football, they gave it to Jamal Morrow and they gave it to Frankie Hickson and made sure that those guys did carry the football. So their commitment to running the football, as you mentioned, is probably going to help this team an awful lot going forward. Well, you know, and, and something that certainly uh, will bear watching now, Hamilton only ran the ball 11 times last week because they fell behind uh, by a large margin so early in the in the football game. Uh, but when they did run the ball, they ran it effectively, averaging six yards a carry on those 11 attempts. Uh, so I And no Jackson Jeffcoat, he's gone on the six-game right. injured list. So I think it's going to be interesting to see uh, the battle of the trenches tomorrow, Daryl. Is that is that kind of priority one going into this game from your point of view, or is there something yeah. else on the radar? Yeah, it always is, it seems like. And the Riders have a great defensive line. That offensive line, though, remember last year, gave up 77 sacks. It's a franchise record, but Cody Fajardo was the quarterback last year. Trevor Harris gets rid of the football a lot better. And they've done some. They've made a few changes to this offensive line. The big thing was adding Peter Godber, the old BC Lions center. Uh, really played a good game last week. They've tried to, a couple of bunch of tackles. All through training camp, the secret was who is going to play offensive guard, who's going to play tackle. They seem to have pieced something together that will, will uh, hopefully keep guys like Willie Jefferson at bay, but uh, you can't stop that Winnipeg uh, front four from getting to the quarterback all the time. But I think they're going to try. And when you talk about balancing the offense, that's going to help them keep a little pressure off Trevor Harris. Yeah, just before we let you go, and thanks a bunch for doing this, Daryl. Very much appreciate it. But, uh, Anytime, Kelly. You know, I always enjoy uh, talking to you, by the way. So. Yeah, I know. And, you know, the thing you look at in this market is the – uh, and several have written about it. Paul Friesen in the Winnipeg Sun, uh, I think the most recently, you know, the 7-0 and run that the Bombers are on against Saskatchewan head-to-head. Has that been talked about at all uh, in Regina? And are the Rough Riders uh, <laughs> rising to the bait of that? Because, you know, of course, the Blue Bombers are saying, what does that have to do with tomorrow night? Well, yeah, the, you know, it's like Chris Jones in Edmonton when they ask him about the losing streak. You know, why yeah. haven't they won it all? Right? He says, hey, most of us haven't even been here all that time. So teams that, teams that are on a losing streak don't like to talk about it, and obviously the Rough Riders don't. 
they haven't been able to beat Winnipeg, but who has been able to consistently beat Winnipeg? The Bombers have been the class of the league for the last three, four years now. Obviously, they're favored to get back to the Grey Cup again, so it's a tough challenge. And if you're losing to them, well, are you close to them? Are you competitive? When the Rough Riders like to think they're competitive, I know they'd like to win. But they have been able to keep pace with them, and you know they've lost some tough playoff games to the Bombers. Winnipeg is just that little bit ahead of the, the Rough Riders right now, so it might be eight in a row, and with the Rough Riders losing a couple of players, that makes a difference. I, I don't hey. think the Rough Riders are quite in Winnipeg's class yet, so that, that losing streak might be extended at least one more week. First place in the West on the line tomorrow night at Mosaic Stadium. Don't miss it. Is that is that what the Saskatchewan Rough Riders are maybe billboarding this one as? <laughs> yeah, they, you know, they, it, it is the biggest rivalry that they've got, right? It, it always yeah. goes back to Labor Day. It's still the only place where they sell, only game they sell out all the time, it seems like. And, and bringing Winnipeg back, there's still some connections with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, you know, uh, just, just because of the geographical rivalry. Yeah. I think the the big thing here is let's be curious. What what's this Rough Rider team look like? We know how good Winnipeg is. How does yep. this team that's been rebuilt? How does it stack up against the mighty Blue Bombers? Have fun tomorrow night, Mister Davis. All right, Kelly. Take care. I've not had the opportunity to speak with Andrew before. I know he's been on the show uh, uh, several times with uh, regular host Christian O'Mell. Andrew, thanks a bunch for taking time out of your busy schedule to do this for us tonight. No, thank you guys for having me on the show. I love uh, I love chatting with you guys. Uh, well, I'll tell you, we love chatting with you as well. Uh, let's start with uh, uh, what I think one of the neat storylines uh, going into tomorrow night. I mean, you had a chance to return to the lineup last uh, game uh, against uh, the HFX Wanderers. Uh, we're able to get uh, 13 minutes of playing time in, uh, but uh, I'm thinking that maybe a little bit more action tomorrow night, especially, and I'll wish you in advance, a happy 31st birthday. <laughs> thank you very much thank you appreciate it and um you know the, the last week you know to come back after being out for so long um you know it, it felt great you know and as for tomorrow you know it's uh it's all up to coach and you know i'll see how the game goes you know he always has a plan and you know I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what it is and i just know i'll be ready to get on the field whenever i can yeah how difficult has it been andrew not being able to be able to play at the start of the year because, uh, uh, you know, th- th- this has uh, uh, been a-, a-, a unique season, to say the least, for Valor. Uh, you had that great start with a victory, and now all of a sudden it uh, seems like uh, it's one draw after another. Yeah, you know, it's it's kind of how the game is, and I know – there's some fans who, uh, you know, who aren't soccer uh, uh, supporters and they see ties and they think that, oh, man, the, you know, they sat through a whole game and just to see a tie. But, you know, uh, uh, in those in those games, a, a lot a lot of fighting on our end, you know, and never giving up no matter what the scoreline is. And that's one of the things that you kind of have to appreciate and really respect with, with these guys. And, the, and it shows their character, uh, you know, from the first to last whistle, you know. Um, but, you know, it's a long, it's a long season. Um, you know, a lot, a lot of teams, you know, start off worse than this and some, uh, some can, you know, change, uh, change, change the way, uh, you know, the end of the season comes, you know, and, you know, uh, with us, uh, we've, we've had our fair share of injuries with some guys and, you know, with a lot of guys coming back, you know, with us becoming a whole, you know, it's, it's, it's going to make the, the middle and the end of the season a lot more exciting. 
Well, I mean, you're right there, too, in the Canadian Premier League standings, uh, fifth on the table, uh, and uh, certainly uh, uh, getting the, the those points for a draw, uh, they, they could come into play later on in the year. Uh, as you mentioned, you never know, uh, you know, how that'll work out. It, it and, and again, I, I've not had the chance to see a game, Andrew, so I'm only going uh, purely uh, off the statistics. But would it be accurate to suggest uh, that, uh, you know, it has just been finishing uh, on some of those opportunities that has prevented you from turning those draws into victories? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, statistically wise, you know, it, it, you know, there's there's a lot of games, uh, you know, that it shows that our creativity in and around the box, the build up play, you know, leading up to goal has been, you know, phenomenal from these guys because you know we're we're up there in the league as far as you know um, chances created. You know, some games, you know, they, it may not go our way, but you know we're there. You know, it's just that final piece. You know, the that final that final pass, that final shot, and you know that's that's something that you know it, it can progress over time. You know, and that's something that we all know too. And you know, it's not uh, we try not to stress too much about it because the play leading up to it has been great on our end on in so many ways. So, you know, uh, just knowing that it just needs to be that one last touch of the ball that, you know, could definitely make the, the difference in the game. And, you know, with the guys that we have, we're all confident that we can, uh, we can make that happen. Well, certainly the one thing I would say that uh, does not need to change in the team's game has been your defensive uh, play. Uh, uh, you are one of the best teams at uh, not conceding goals. So uh, that's a great base to work from, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. You know, that's actually something that, you know, before um, when I first came to Valor, you know, um, you know, there's only so much I could do on the attacking end. But, you know, defensively, you know, that's something that I, I take a lot of pride in. And, you know, um, whether I'm on the field or, or not, you know, I'm I'm always constantly working with uh, the guys in the back line and, and our coaching staff, you know, always trying to find, uh, you know, the best way to, you know, stay secure in the defensive third, you know. And, um, you know, even in some of these games where, you know, a team may get a, a goal or two, you know, it doesn't actually represent the, the, the limited chances that they had in the whole game, you know, and that's something that I'm proud uh, to say, you know, uh, you know, not just with the back line, but it starts with, uh, up front. And, you know, def- uh, defensively, I hope that's something that uh, we would like to keep on going. And if we keep that going and finish, uh, you know, finish up that end product that I was speaking on earlier, I think, uh, you know, this team, the team can really make a run for it. But obviously, you know how it goes. It's one game at a time. Yeah, absolutely, for sure. Yeah, Andrew Jean-Baptiste, uh, uh, center back for uh, Valor FC, joining us here for just a few more minutes. I mentioned off the top, uh, Andrew, uh, that uh, it is your 31st birthday tomorrow. Uh, how many times during your career have you had the opportunity to play on your birthday? Uh, um, not not many. The last time I can remember <laughs> it was, uh, I think it was, I believe it was an Open Cup game. Uh, when I was with Rebels, and that was actually when I made my first feature for that team too. So, um, you know, it's you know, it, <laughs> it's one of those things. You know, you try not to let it get to your head, but at the same time, you know, it's the best way to possibly end off uh, a birthday. You know, with uh, with the win, three points. You know, and yeah. if you're lucky enough to get a goal, even better. You know, but um, you know, I try not to think about it too much. Uh, you know, the team has it in their mind, and they're like, "Oh, Drew's gonna be your birthday." And we have this ritual. Of, you know, doing the tunnel, but um, um, that's something that that's only going to happen if, uh, you know, we get our three points and, you know, put out a good performance. So, uh, you know, 
I'm not I'm not always looking forward to the tunnel because it's always a lot of water and <laughs> you know and tripping up and stuff with the guys. But uh, you know, if 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 that if we're doing it, then that means you know we're happy with our performance and we left for three points. So this is this will be one of the few times I'm looking forward to that tunnel. Yeah, yeah, and, and especially you know the guys that probably give you the most grief are those ones uh, that are in their early twenties. Uh, just before we let you go, and thanks a bunch for doing this, Andrew. Uh, maybe tee up. Uh, what you're expecting from Forge, uh, Forge rather, you had a 3-2 loss to them uh, earlier this season uh, in Hamilton. Uh, you know, we just talked about the dearth of goals, and wow, that was an offensive explosion in that game, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, you know, and, um, you know, you got to give it up to Forge for being who they are. Um, you know, they, they wouldn't have won the title uh, as much as they have if they weren't a formidable, a formidable opponent. And, you know, um, we, 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 we look forward to playing, stepping on the field with good teams. And um, they're, one, they're one of the good teams in this league. And, you know, um, and, uh, you know uh, with that being said, you know, I'm, 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 a, I'm a firm believer of, you know, you respect them, but you don't fear them. They may be good, but, you know, we can come up and uh, change results and uh, take the three points. And that's, that's all we're looking at. You know, they're a good team, but at the end of the day, we come out and do our game plan. Um, there's, there's no one that, you know, could sit in front of us and, uh, you know, take, take, take away points away from us when we're on our best day. So we just got to go out there and do it. Andrew, have fun in the tunnel tomorrow uh, and, uh, and, and all the things that go along with uh, celebrating a birthday. And, uh, and we really appreciate you popping on and joining us for a few minutes. Uh, Nah, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. And hopefully I can catch you out again one of these days and, you know, I can Absolutely. bring you into the field to show you the full experience. You bet. I would love to do that for sure. Andrew Jean-Baptiste of Valor FC, 7 o'clock tomorrow night at IG Field. All right. Uh, very pleased to have with us on the program. He's a, a good friend of the show, a good friend to the sport of golf. His name is Jeremy Keeler. He writes for Canadian Golf Magazine. He also writes for Prairie Golf Magazine. He's a tireless uh, volunteer and supporter of uh, the game of golf. And Jeremy, just before we talk about all the great things that happened at the U.S. Open today and last Sunday, uh, of course, at the Canadian Open, we have of course, uh, the uh, uh, the uh, Manitoba Open Golf Tournament uh, that's going to be uh, taking place uh, later on this summer. And uh, we need to put the shout out for volunteers right now. Of course. And um, as uh, part of the, the tournament committee, um, I think it's my uh, my responsibility to make sure that we plug it whenever we can. So, yeah, we're, we're looking for volunteers for the event. Everything from walking scores to caddies. I'm, I'm a little partial to the caddies since I'm the <laughs> caddy master. So, of course, I'm going to say yes, caddy first and then everything else. But, no, uh, we need for all different uh, all different aspects of the event. And it's a wonderful fundraiser uh, for the True North Foundation. And uh, Centerport uh, Canada is the title sponsor. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's a really neat event. But, of course, uh, just like uh, a lot of other things, uh, without volunteers, it just wouldn't be a success. So, we're uh, counting on um, a, a good response, and it's a great time. I mean, the the fact that you're going to see the up-and-comers, and I'm looking at this leaderboard right now, and uh, <laughs> some players in the top 10 um, uh, were at the Manitoba Open before and have played really well, and um, yeah, it's, it's pretty neat that you get to see the future of golf. 
Yeah, just just uh, very quickly, I'll, I'll give the dates uh, again, and we'll uh, also uh, pass along information for those who are interested in volunteering. But as you look at that U.S. Open leaderboard, run off a couple of those names, Jeremy. Okay, well, Tony Finau, uh, he's T14. Um, Mackenzie Hughes, so basically all the Canadians. Um, yep. And then in uh, T8, or, or, or sorry, T8 is Paul Barjon. Um, yep. He he was, I think, second or third, uh, um, I want to say 2019. Uh, really, really uh, good guy. Um, uh, and I got to interview him and spend some time with him. And uh, there's actually, there's a couple more too, but those are the big ones. Um, yeah. It's... It, it's it's neat to see that uh, uh, not only are they they you know they're making their mark, but you you know volunteering in the event and getting to meet them and stuff, you had a little part in 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 their journey, right? So absolutely, yeah. There's nothing like having been there and rub shoulders with players and then see them uh, succeed. So uh, that is August 24th through the 27th, the Centerport Canada Rail Park Manitoba Open uh, at the Southwood Golf and Country Club. And, uh, Jeremy, we'll, we'll do this at the end of the, our chat as well, uh, but uh, is there uh, an email address or a number that people can call or contact, if you will, uh, to uh, find out more about volunteering? It's just uh, mantoopen.com. Uh, yep. website and the, all the links are on the website it's a really neat website and uh very intuitive um and everything's there perfect manitoba.com okay let's get appreciate to the order uh, <laughs> pardon me i said i appreciate it yeah absolutely uh let's talk about the u.s open uh, because I don't know uh, that anybody saw this coming uh i mean the, the los angeles country club probably isn't regarded uh, as difficult as some of the other tracks that are used for the U.S. Open. And who knows, it may bear its teeth uh, later on uh, in the tournament. But today it has been brought to its knees, led by Ricky Fowler and Xander Shoffley. Well, the big thing in this morning was there was no wind. Um, you talk about absolutely perfect scoring conditions. You had really, really good greens, um, no wind, and you had two guys, who were apps two two California guys who are absolutely perfect. Yeah, yeah, that's it, it, it's very interesting. Ricky Fowler is from Marietta, California, which is about an hour and a bit south of Los Angeles, and of course, right. Xander Shoffley uh, is from San Diego. Uh, so, a couple of SoCal boys, uh, indeed. And it was interesting how each of them went about their business, uh, uh, Jeremy, because uh, Ricky did have a couple of hiccups on the back nine, but. You know, he also had 10 birdies to help uh, ease the pain, too. Well, not only is the course record, but I think 10 birdies is also the most birdies ever in a U.S. Open round. So the the thing with Ricky is he's coming off a, a swing. Like the past year, he's been working on his swing. He's a little bit more upright. So he's gone through massive swing changes. And uh, the whole entire point was to be a little bit more consistent. He was a little, little flat on the, uh, on the backswing. He's now, again, uh, more upright. Hits the ball a little, little bit different, little different trajectory, and the whole entire thing was to be more consistent. And, and his focus was on winning a major, and um, uh, you're starting to see that. Zander Shoffley, he's uh, he grew up uh, playing um, similar style courses. He uh, he has no fear. Um, he too has been working on some swing swing issues, but uh, or swing changes. Um, yeah. But uh, for for Fowler, that was really nice to see him actually, you know, 
all this hard work that he's put into it and, and the grind that he's done uh, with his swing actually now start to uh, start to pay some fruition. And it's, I mean, he's, he's had glimpses before, but nothing like this. This was absolutely amazing. Yeah, and and it's kind of interesting too because uh, anybody familiar with that uh, layout at the Los Angeles uh, Country Club, there are those three closing holes uh, that uh, <laughs> you know they they are not your typical par fours, uh, and yet both uh, Ricky and Xander were able to to nego- navigate them just fine. Well, and that's the the crazy thing with with the with. Um... LA Country Club is the course is going to play different every single day, all four days, because they have some holes that they can add, uh, some par fours that they can add 100, 125 yards. And there's a couple of the par threes that they can really uh, shorten. Um, I think it's uh, 15. Um, I think on Saturday, they're from what I, if I understand correctly, they're they're planning uh, on playing 18, or I'm sorry, um, 86, 88 yards. So it, wow. which is which is absolutely that's like you could throw it on the green, right? Um, but they can take it back almost uh, to 200 yards. So um, the the thing with LA Country Club, it uh, went through a redesign, uh, or not a redesign, but a, uh, basically made it made it back how it originally was um, by Gil Hans, and that was done uh, several years ago uh, in preparation of hosting the U S open and a lot of the, the old characteristics uh, and a lot of the design features from the original layout were uh, re reconstructed. Um, and they brought in a lot more, a lot more uh, slope, a lot more um, pin locations. Uh, so it's just not, uh, you know, where, where they have to put the flag on one spot and they have no choice. It's also one where you have to work the ball. You can't just literally bomb and gouge it, which is, um, sometimes what you have to do in a U.S. Open, you just play it really, really yeah. long and have to hit it really, really far. No, this this course requires some strategy. There are some long holes. I mean, uh, 14 is playing around 6:30, which is not a not a short hole. And I mean, the 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 13th is 500 yards. Um, so that's you know you're you're at 1130 yards for two holes. That's that's not um, that's not uh, short, but then you go the next hole and hits, you know, it's 120, 125 yards or so. So yeah. um, it, it, it really challenges everyone. And that's why you're also going to see people like, uh, or players like Brian Harmon. Uh, Brian Harmon is not the longest hitter. Um, he's very methodical, almost, he's a lefty, uh, almost like Mike Weir, where you, you pick your spots and um, really, really good at with a putter and exceptional with the wedges. And that's what he's been doing is uh, he's not necessarily going for every single par four. Um, he's not trying to uh, overpower the course. He's just plodding his way around. And that's the, the, the neat part of this course is you're going to have people who can absolutely smoke the ball. Like again, like the Rory's and the Dustin Johnson's. Yeah. Um, but you also have the ones, the, the players who don't hit it as far, but can uh, manipulate the course to their advantage. Mackenzie Hughes uh, at uh, two under. He is still out on the course. Uh, Corey Connors and Adam Hadwin uh, each uh, played uh, uh, even par 70 golf today. Uh, Nick Taylor, and just before we let you go, uh, about 60 seconds here, uh, Jeremy. Uh, How difficult do you think that is for Nick Taylor uh, to to get back into the groove after what he experienced Sunday at the Canadian Open? Uh, I mean, if it wasn't for the U.S. Open, he probably would have 
taking, yeah. <laughs> taking it off. Um, the exhilaration of, of winning it. And, and it's not only winning a PGA Tour event, it's winning the Canadian Open. Um, it's, yeah. With a 72-foot putt on a I playoff guess, hole. <laughs> and, not, and not only that, you, it, it, it's the, it was four playoff holes, and you won it with an, um, a miracle putt. Um, the longest yeah. part of his career, 70-something feet uh, with a triple breaker. Um, it, it's almost maybe good to be in, in, in uh, Southern California where there isn't maybe as much um, uh, distractions. Uh, there's, yeah. there's a lot of other stuff going on, so maybe that's a good thing. But, um, yeah, no, I, I can't imagine how, how I, if, if I won it, how I'd focus. I'd be, <laughs> I'd, be, I'd be in Bermuda by now. Jeremy Keeler, well, I know where you're going to be in late August, and that's uh, serving as the caddy master uh, yeah. at the uh, Manitoba Open at Southwood. Uh, Jeremy, as always, thanks a bunch for the insight, man. Very much appreciate it. I appreciate it. Thank you very much.